welcome to Morning Coffee. I'm Jess. And I'm James. So this week, um, I guess what I was thinking about, I, I actually was listening back to a bunch of our previous podcasts. Mm. Uh, as I was publishing my website, I like put a whole section on there about our podcast, and then I saw the little Apple podcast player in there, and I was like, oh, let me just play back our first podcast. And, you know, we're on the fifth episode now. Um, so I just wanted to listen back to some of the stuff that we talked about. And what I noticed in listening back to my recording specifically is how I say like a lot um, in the way I describe things. So I've put it in the back of my head to make more of a conscious effort to not use like in a lot when Mm. I'm describing things. Um, And then it made me think that it takes practice to like get better at things. I'm sure in this podcast, you're gonna hear me say like a lot when I'm describing something. Uh, but it reminded me of when I decided to first start doing YouTube and recording videos of myself. And I still have the like first video that I recorded. I think it literally is called my first video when I like made a conscious effort to start YouTube. And when I watched that first episode back, I'm like, ooh. Like, <laughs> you cringe. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, remember when, um, you know, we're a big fan of Jen Yim on on YouTube. And you said that you started getting recommended a lot of her like older videos. And yeah, from like almost a decade ago. Yeah, and those are so much different than what she's doing now. But that was also like eight to ten years ago yeah. was her first videos. And I was just thinking about how just doing, the act of doing, mm-hmm. will make you better at whatever it is that you want to get better at. And you just need to keep practicing doing that practice to get better at it it's not going to happen overnight it could to get to if you want to be a youtuber and be gen m level it's not going to be tomorrow like the first video you record tomorrow is going to be gen m status it's yeah. you're going to have to record eight years or no maybe not eight years worth of video but you get what i mean i right? feel like the sweet spot is always like two years mm-hmm. i feel like i meet a lot of people where i think that they've been doing something their whole lives and they're kind of reaching this like you know sweet spot of like feeling really proud of their work and being really successful and having a good cadence and all that stuff and I asked them how long they've been doing it and they're like oh yeah it's been a year and a half of like consistency I feel like I have this theory in my head that like even with like businesses or any kind of you know um, idea you need like a two-year window to Mm -hmm mess up and you know have your dips and have your you know peaks and valleys but then like it seems like there's some magic that happens after two years of consistency regardless of whether what you put out is good or bad which we've talked about in the in previous episodes but yeah yeah that's so interesting yeah i mean I, i was also thinking about the process of I guess in the tech world, you call it iterating, right? Mm. Or collecting feedback and iterating so that you can improve the product or whatever. But I see a lot of similarities in recording, like recording YouTube videos or recording this podcast of every single time you do it, you improve a little bit in some ways. And for me in this realization, the thing I was thinking about was maybe I do have to listen back Mm. to the early stuff to know what I can improve on. 
which is tough for me because you know me with the YouTube videos. Anytime mm. I publish a YouTube video, I can't. You won't let me be in the it. same room as you when I, can't I watch hear it. it. Yeah, like <laughs> once I publish something, I can't look at it again. Otherwise, I'm gonna like cringe and and all that stuff. Even when I gave conference talks, there's a couple of my conference talks that I've done that the whole thing was recorded, and I, I've never to this day have not rewatched what that is. There's something about me watching myself that. I can't do it but at the same time the fact that I did start re-listening to our first podcast I noted stuff that oh I need to get better at this oh I need to get better at that and I probably wouldn't know that unless I did Mm. listen back and, and catch those things so I also think that to get better you actually need to reconsume your early stuff to identify the things that you should improve on or I don't know. I mean, maybe there's difference of opinion here because I probably, if you asked me the same question two years ago when I am afraid of, of watching back on myself, it's like, oh, just the act of practicing, like the getting into the habit and getting used to doing it will just naturally make you better. You'll just know yeah. what to improve because you're just more comfortable, yeah. I guess. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting because with the videos, I think that there's a certain level of like, spiraling self-criticism that starts to happen and you really just pick yourself apart like you you're not kind to yourself you know and some people confuse that criticism as like constructive criticism and just it's like a little it's shitty right it's like very mean I'm 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 wondering though or while I was listening to you I was wondering if you know maybe podcasts are easier because you strip away everything except just the voice and just the words like we we barely edit these things whereas when you're making your videos you are staring at yourself over and over and over again while you're editing and cutting things out and then when you're watching videos there's so many other variables to pick apart how you look you know the how you're editing the lighting the etc but yeah. podcast is just you know you me and a voice right yeah you're right like editing these podcasts have been very very easy the only things i really edit is if we're too loud or mm-hmm. or too soft or anything like that um or if there's something that we talk about that we're like oh let's rewind that yeah because i made a mistake or whatever but yeah you're right when i record videos for youtube i could get the dialogue completely right but then the lighting is off or right something happens in the background or you know something like a dirty spoon is in the background table of whatever i'm like oh like yeah i gotta get that out oh, and, like, my skin it. like uh, it's like a constantly moving goalpost like yeah. perfectionism is so much harder when there are so many variables to pick apart and you know i think you know maybe the takeaway with that is that if you are going to decide to iterate something on something to just like zero in on one thing and like remove the other variables and like just test that you know test that one thing yeah. or i think the lesson in that is to pick a thing that is actually like Achievable. crucial oh <laughs> like instead of like looking back at a video i'm not gonna like pick apart like oh i should have did my hair in that video like that's not mm. beneficial to the practice right like yeah doing your like wearing a hat versus not wearing a hat in the next video has nothing to do with Mm. creating a better piece of content like a more informative piece of content or like improving the way you uh describe something for example Mm. so i think my criticism of my the first podcast that i listened from us was i i say like a lot and as a listener 
when somebody says like a lot when they're like it's like this and then like that and like that like it kind of distracts me mm. from the actual message that they're communicating so i think that piece of feedback is valid to iterate on because it is improving me in terms of describing things in a way that's the least distracting to a listener because for me as a listener, when someone's like, oh, it's like this, like, 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 I'm like, oh, man, I'm focusing more on them saying like than the actual thing that they're trying to describe. That's interesting. I don't know if I picked up on you saying like at all, maybe mm-hmm. because I live with you and, you know. That's how we talk. Yeah, it's just a sound that's like my brain just deletes it as, no, you know, when you live next to a train station, you stop hearing the train pull in after a while. Like <laughs> Maybe it's like that. Yeah. But I don't know. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's funny because when I... There's definitely things that I notice that not a lot of people notice, but it's also those little details that do make a difference. Yeah. In the end, it creates a more refined... Yeah. um, It's it's what's not there that makes a good experience, you know? Yeah, so for example, like when... When it comes to podcasts, when I I used to work for Gimlet Media, very popular podcasting company, I didn't know a thing about podcasting when I first joined. And when I got to sit in on some of their editing sessions and I talked to some of the audio engineers and like just saw like what they did and looked at in terms of editing the sound of Mm -hmm. a podcast, I saw that they were doing things that I was like, I did not even realize that that was an issue. The fact that like, when levels blow out or any like you know the levels are too high or too low or the fact that they even add like white noise uh into podcasts as like a baseline instead of having it be completely silent what like all those little details when i didn't know anything about podcasts i didn't recognize them Mm. like psycho like subconsciously i guess is the word i was looking for but now that i know all Mm. of that I do notice the difference that it makes and it is a subconscious difference that it makes when you listen to the audio of a podcast, but you don't realize that stuff. But definitely improve like so you might not realize how many times I say like, but you might subconsciously realize the next time we record a podcast and I don't use mm-hmm. like a lot when I describe things, you'll just naturally be like, Oh, that just sounded a lot more fluid and a lot better and it's because of these little changes that you didn't weren't able to pinpoint yeah. immediately yeah, a lot of quality is very like under the radar like mm-hmm. what defines something as quality is is very subtle yeah um that's fast i did not know about that but that's probably why you know you you you're able to do the sound editing and microphone adjustments and all this before we even begin yeah huh huh yeah but I mean, you'll probably notice that when you think about what your favorite podcasts are, you'll probably notice that the yeah. hosts just fluidly describe stuff and they probably will, if we could count on one hand yeah. how many times they use the word like when they're describing mm. something probably. But that's just a, a, aside from okay. from the fact. I think there's so many little nuances that, yeah, people don't really pick up on that actually make a huge, huge difference in like the grand scheme of, yeah. of things. It makes me think about, um, you know, TED Talks? Yeah, I, I don't you know practice this consciously necessarily, but I remember hearing about the way that they train their speakers to talk. Yeah, and how they said something about, and I'm very consciously doing it right now. But they said something about only touching the tip of your tongue to the roof of your mouth yeah. when you're making like T sounds or D sounds to create 
you know, uh, to enunciate better yeah. for a microphone and for an audience. And it's these little things that add to this unconscious high quality output yeah. of something like TED Talks. Yeah, so for TED Talk, not TEDx, but like the legit TED Talks, yeah. every High single production. one, yeah, every single one of those speakers get full training. They do heavy editing on their presentations to get them to be in between. I think it's like I think they said the ideal like TED Talk is eight minutes, but some mm. of them go up to like eight. So it's from eight to eighteen minutes. If you ever watch TED Talks, you'll notice that any one of their talks is anywhere from huh. eight, to eight, eight to eighteen minutes or something like that. And they get heavy coaching and all that and heavy editing on their, their talks to make sure that it's the whole thing. Like you don't get bored at all. Like every single slide or every single point, they're like hitting something at every moment of the talk. And there's no wasted mm. filler space in, in any of the talks. And I think in, when I was doing one of my first conference talks, uh, I was working at Refinery29 at the time. And they actually had a speech coach present or presentation coach. Mm. Um, she was actually helping the the our executive team because they had to give talks for some event with advertisers that they had to do. And since the um, presentation coach, I'm just going to call her a presentation coach, since she was in the office. Um, they connected me with her because I was working on a talk and she sat through my presentation and this is my first ever presentation that I did and it was too long, <laughs> you know? And that was like the first piece of feedback where I was like, wow, you got like 40 slides and we've already been talking for 20 minutes and you're not even halfway through your slides. Mm. Um, and she gave me like little, like, she, you know, it was I only had a half hour with her. She normally works like two or three days with people, and then you even practice your speech, and she'll give you feedback on the delivery and all that stuff. But yeah, it's it's an art to give a talk and edit it down and talk in a way that's mm. impactful for the listeners. We were talking about this yesterday when we were walking to the train station. Um, I think it was because oh, well, we were watching Killers of the Flower Moon, and the thing about the movie was that it's like a three-hour movie. Three and a half hours, three, actually. <laughs> three and a half hours. Because when we were watching it, there's like scenes where there's a lot of dialogue, a lot of slow dialogue, and a lot of pauses. And I think that was one of the tips that the presentation coach gave me because I was talking really, really fast because I was really trying to get through a lot of material in a short period of time. Um, but she gave me some feedback on some of the slides that I could have made the same point with fewer words and with mm. pauses before I like hit the, the mm. point. And sometimes it's more impactful to have spaces of silence and like talk slower. Mm -hmm. Cause then when you hit your point, it like hits a lot harder. So yeah, there's so much stuff to, yeah. to think about there. And even, I think that was also one of the things that I was listening to in the podcast where I was like, oh, when I talk, I talk really fast sometimes. Sometimes it would benefit to talk a lot slow. <laughs> I mean, that, that's oh, kind no. of exaggerating. <laughs> but, you know, when you're making a point. Um, I think especially when you're making points, like when you normally have a fast cadence and then you slow it down a bit, like the, the audience's brain shifts and they lean in a little closer because they want to know what you're saying. And it like it slows down the synergy of the room and like all the focus is just pinpointed when you talk slow. Yeah. And then you pause after a really important point. 
Yeah, exactly. And, and then you let it sit. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that was actually one of the things where it's like after you make a point, like let it settle. Don't fill the space. Yes. Like let let it like sink in a little bit and then start your next sentence. So, so that stuff it takes a lot for me to yeah. incorporate that, but also I think practice helps mm-hmm. too if you have that in the back of your head and you just remember it. You don't have to do it throughout the entire podcast, but if you remember to do it once or twice, yeah. And you build a habit of it, then it becomes part of your normal cadence, yeah. and you become a better speaker because yeah. of it. I remember um, I was working with this nonprofit uh, for maybe my longest job so far, five years with this nonprofit, um, and we worked with Asian American youth in the city, and it was like a mentoring program, and we taught them one of the one of the pillars that we taught them was confidence. So a lot of the things we taught them was public speaking, and some of the tips that we gave them were really fun. Like for instance, the pause, the way that I described it was like, imagine if you like made an important part and then threw glitter into the audience. (laughs) And then you just kind of have to like wait for a second for the glitter to like settle and make an impact because otherwise you throw the glitter and then you're moving on to the next topic. But then the glitter starts to settle and people are confused between the, so they're just gonna focus on you because you're what's moving. But if you pause and you let the glitter settle, then, you know, the point that you drove home is really gonna take impact. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I remember when I first met you, the reason you started doing these YouTube videos was because you wanted to just get more comfortable. We might have talked about this in previous um, podcasts, but you just wanted to get more comfortable with speaking in general. I think you're pretty comfortable speaking now in front of microphones and cameras and, and things like that. Um, so it's pretty interesting and exciting to see. But it's years of practice. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that when I was listening to you, two things came to mind. One is that I do think there's a lot of value in people getting help from other people, you know, because some people think it's just like 10 years of doing the same stuff and you're not always going to get better at something if you're doing exactly what you were doing just for longer. Right. Mm -hmm. But working with, you know, uh, presentation coaches working with you know I went to Toastmasters for a little bit because my job at the time you know we were encouraged to go to a chapter and what's what's Toastmasters oh hold up you don't know what Toastmasters is (laughs) Toastmasters is like a uh, it's like a I would say it's like a public speaking boot camp club like Hmm. I you know to be fair I've only gone to like one tiny chapter they started a chapter in Chinatown. I was the part of the pilot. And, you know, but what the it, what it essentially is, from my experience, there's chapters all over. But Toastmasters has like a very specific way of teaching you how to present and how to, how to give speeches. There's like a very specific framework. Um, and every week they give you a topic and you write, you know, on the topic and you present it within a timed period. But the one thing that I really remember standing out to me is they have somebody there who is their only job is to count how many likes, how many ums, how many, you know, your your filler words you use. And then they report it back to you um, at the you know, at that's the perf- end. That's exactly what I'm looking for. Yeah. And like, you don't realize it until it's quantified. And you're just like, oh, my God. And one of the tips that I remember kind of taking on is whenever I felt the urge to say like, because now my brain is so primed to, you know, um, to look out for them. One of the things that I would do is replace a like or um with a pause because they don't realize. Right. And like, you know, when I was quitting smoking, one thing that I learned is you can't just quit because you want to quit. You have to replace 
one thing with another thing in order to actually like, you know, build that momentum. So my recommendation is whenever you feel like you want to say like, if you don't have something to replace it with like a pause, your brain starts to freak out. You're like, what am I, you know, and it's just this. Yeah. 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 It's like that habit of if you're uncomfortable with silence and want to fill it, that's where the filler words come from. But the more you make yourself okay with silence or a pause, then it'll help you improve reducing the use of the, all those filler words. I felt like I used to be the type of person that said um a lot. And that was one of the things that I caught myself saying a lot, like way back. And I kind of notice it sometimes too when I'm watching my, my when I'm recording YouTube videos and watching the videos back. But I tend to pause and like start saying a vowel instead of like saying um. Oh. Or like I drag out a vowel when I'm about to say um instead. So I like, feel like, uh... yeah, yeah. So I think um is one of those things that I've been able to weed out mm. of the way I, I talk or describe things. But now I'm working on like. So I guess pauses is a good way to do it. Although it's just naturally I tend to, when I have discussions with people, uh, compare compare things if that makes sense yeah you're using like as yeah that's a why you say like right yeah like the or it's like 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 uh, or when you're saying this thing is like, like this XYZ. that's why i say like is that a simile or a metaphor we we're talking about that this morning metaphor i guess <laughs> but is that why i say it or i think i'm so used to comparing one thing to another thing and i just it just ends up falling into my language because i just keep saying like a lot a simile things is when something is like another thing mm. but i think the strength of your the strength of your communication is that you're really good at finding relatable things to express a concept yeah so i don't know if that's necessarily a like that you will take out because i, I just think similes are a part of your communication style mm. and you can you can explain physics to someone like me who has run away from math my whole life, right? So I think that the like that you're focusing on is the the like that just kind of sneaks in as a comma, mm -hmm. you know, which I don't know, like to me, okay, see now you got me, <laughs> now you got me doing it. But a like to me is a replacement for a comma for our yeah. generation. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Although some of them are definitely filler words that I just need to fill the space to connect one idea to another. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I do think the trick to that would be talking just a second slower. So you mm -hmm. know how on YouTube you can adjust the playback speed? Mm -hmm. Like go from 1.00 to like 0 0.85. I, I, I think that one thing that happens a lot, especially when we get really excited about a conversation, yeah. or we have a point that we really you know are excited to put out there, like... <laughs> Now you're aware of your own likes. Damn, man. This is so annoying, dude. But, but don't uh, think of like subconsciously. It's okay if you say it, just not every other word. And you weren't saying it every other okay. word. Okay. All so. right. So, all right. Just a disclaimer. Like to me is what I, I put before a pause. Mm -hmm. Like. <laughs> um, but I find that generally when I speak slower, it gives... You know the way that my brain puts words together it it's almost like a puzzle i'm pulling word like blocks of words out of the air and putting them on a conveyor belt <laughs> as That's they form interesting yeah so imagine that in my head 
Now imagine the words coming out of my mouth really quickly. Mm-hmm. The minute it like if my words and the uh, if the words coming out of my mouth and the blocks of words that are being formed are going at the same time, then the minute the blocks stop, yeah, my a, mouth goes. They, pop, 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 pop. Yeah, one conveyor belt goes slower than the other. Then right. you need to like get them back on track right. with a like. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, the, like the, per, the the conveyor belt hands like oh fuck, and then it like throws in like a like or an um. Mm-hmm. Whereas if my mouth is moving just a beat slower, it allows for there to be almost like a linear relationship. And if I notice words that are incorrect, right? If my conveyor belt puts in a word that's not accurate, I can almost look at it and be like, oh, let's you know, let's change that word out. And there's enough time for all of that to happen. And it allows for spaces for me to listen to people. Yeah. Like last podcast, I felt like I, I talked over you a lot. That's probably because it was a topic I was like super excited about. Like I was, nah, 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 and there were just so many things I wanted to say. But if I talked at the pace I'm talking now, I would have known to hear you and know that, you know, oh, there's a break and this is an actual pause in conversation and not just a breath that you're taking. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense because. A lot of this podcast is like we're not it's not scripted no i don't know what i'm gonna say before i say it i think this whole conversation we did not plan yeah we're just blowing out of our butt (laughs) which leads to likes and ums exactly whereas when i record youtube videos in order to get that perfect dialogue without any likes or ums i probably recorded that line 20 times before i got the recording same thing with well I'm sure if I watch my uh, talks, my live talks, I probably do say like a lot because it's live, but Mm -hmm. the things that are recorded or prepared don't have it because I had time to know what I was going to say. It's not exactly what you're saying, which is you're processing at the same time that you're talking. Mm -hmm. So when your processing lags behind what you're saying, then you need to fill the space to match it back up again. Yeah. And, you know, the five times that you're recording something, I, I think it's just especially if you haven't done something in a long time, it's just giving your brain and this conveyor belt an opportunity to find its its uh, pace, right? Mm. Like, damn <laughs> 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 it! Um, you know, you mentioned earlier, there are two, you, you know, there are many YouTubers that we see and YouTube out of nowhere, a video from 10 years ago where it's like super awkward, they all have the emo haircut, like their eyeliner doesn't work for our hooded eyelids, but we didn't know back then. And it's all these things where if it's not coaching from other people, it's also just doing things for a really long time and iterating on feedback and understanding what works for you and understanding what doesn't and leaning into your strengths and finding ways around things that you know um like i watch a youtuber who's completely unfiltered like she just does these like you know adhd rambling videos of her cleaning the room and doing her makeup and plucking her eyebrows and for some reason it calms me down like i don't know i i I enjoy that authenticity and the rambling and i doubt that she's there like oh you know she's leaning into what is true to her um i would hate if you know you'd you know didn't lean into what was true to yourself yeah. and ha- picked up this cadence that wasn't yours and as long as it's not obstructing you from mm-hmm. communicating your message right if you have to say if that's just the way you communicate you use like a lot yep. you say um a lot it just is what it is like you just gotta... if, if that's what you need to do to get your message out then mm-hmm. it's fine 
don't worry about it <laughs> say um and like 50 million times like as long as you're able to share the message that yeah. you want to share and communicate yeah. what you wanted to communicate and you got to get it out um when i was working with sorry i'm like there's a lot of i've been thinking a lot about my past like students this week um but there was a period of time where i was teaching teenagers how to write their little essay for the english regents mm -hmm. and something that always happens with a lot of the kids i worked with was that they would completely get blocked and have writer's block when they have to think about writing a perfect essay as soon as they sit down because they know they're going to be graded on this essay so they're freaking out and what ends up happening is they they when i ask them to tell me verbally what their answer is it's so clear it's like really simple words but they're they have an answer and then the minute i ask them to write it down it goes away and then it gets all these superfluous words and it starts to get all the all the purity of the clarity of their response gets lost in all of this frill of needing to be perfect mm -hmm. and you know and they also hated they hated two things they hated first drafts and outlines and so um, i used to tell them i used to give them this image of like okay imagine if your answer was this like baby like this really excited baby and your baby just really wanted to get out the door and every time it gets close to the door, you're like, Dada, wait. And then you pull it back and you put on like a pair of pants. And then it goes, it's like, okay, let's go. And it runs to the door and you're like, Dada, da, wait. And then you put on like a shirt. So every time it tries to run out the door, you stop it, you yank it back and you dress it up in something. And then by the time it's all dressed up, it doesn't even want to go outside. Like that is how I imagine a first thought or a first draft to come out, but you have to get it out. And then once you get it out, you can get it dressed. But yeah. yeah, like don't like lassoing a thought over and over again because you want it to be perfect before it's even like out of your body. It's gonna mess with the yeah. with that pure thought. Yeah, which is why you just need to get yeah, it out. get stuff out there. Yeah, publish. Well, even before you publish, I think as a writer, there's a brief period of time where I entertained the idea of being a writer, and. What I learned is that, you know, some of the writers I love have notebooks and notebooks and notebooks of just trash. It's just like, and self-defined trash. I wouldn't call it trash, but it's just every day they basically get up and take a shit into a notebook and just like take out all, even if it's bad, because the goal isn't to get it out. Um, and I have to look back and, you know, like Google which, which author this was, but there is one author, I think it was... Okay, but there was this one author who essentially said that that act of daily writing is creating a lot of like fertilizer. Was it manure? Manure. 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 Yo, I, I, I talk like a reader, okay? It's spelled manure. Um, but it's basically what you're doing is creating manure. And in that manure, there's a seed. And out of nowhere, that seed is going to sprout and turn into a flower that that she uses for a book later on. Mm -hmm. And so that really made me wonder about creativity as a discipline and just showing up every day just to write something. For someone like me, where like I can't even show up every day to take a vitamin. Like daily routines is something that, you know, mm -hmm. it's I struggle I, with. I like to call it more of just like practice. Mm -hmm. right? That that's what I was talking about in the beginning is just practice pra the practice will mm -hmm. make you better like i think about uh hero dreams of sushi the netflix show mm -hmm. of the that 
master sushi chef and i can't imagine how many like things of sushi he's made to get to the point of making the perfect sushi Mm -hmm. you don't just make the perfect piece of sushi right when you learn how to put fish and rice together like it, it took the act of making sushi like cooking sushi rice how many like probably hundreds of thousands of times millions of times if not to finally land on like the perfect recipe mm-hmm. and perfect timing and perfect whatever to get the perfect sushi rice so it's not like you'll figure that out overnight it takes thousands hundreds of thousands of times of doing that thing to finally get really really good at it i have a question for you for people who are either creatives now or endeavoring to be creatives or have dreams of being creatives, right? This act of practice, right? I'm assuming it's practice and then presentation. Yeah. Right? Some kind of practice and presentation so that you can get some kind of feedback or figure out, you know, what we're doing. We're not, we're, we're publishing this and it's something that we can always go back on. You're not practicing in a silo because you're just in a feedback loop. Yeah. Okay? So in today's society, where Instagram is like a playground of bullies where the minute you put out anything that could get torn down, they will find a way, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how would, you su- su- how would you suggest someone practice? Like, what is a safe space to practice something? I mean, it could be private. It could, like, as long as you do the thing, it doesn't matter if you're putting it out for other people to see or you're just keeping it to yourself as long as the the, the practice happens mm. you know if that makes sense I think the other thing too and this is like a prerequisite for for creating or like starting a new endeavor or anything like that is to detach yourself from comparison um, I think nowadays there's so much content out there people have had so much time to get good at like making youtube videos at like being good at instagram making a perfect tiktok video that there's so much comparison out there that all right if i'm trying to do something for the first time ever that these people have been doing for years and have mastered there's no way in hell that my first few pieces of content are any going to be anywhere close to what they're creating so it doesn't make sense for me to like compare myself to that or set that as the bar when i first started creating youtube videos i I think this is for anybody who wants to like out of nowhere start vlogging or becoming a youtube youtuber their comparison is like casey neistat and this guy has been doing these vlogs way before youtube existed with like his hbo series and stuff like that but like when you're first starting out vlogging to be like my i want my first video to be like casey neistat is you're setting yourself up mm. to like for disappointment and failure. So I think a prerequisite is to just get comparison out the door and focus more on just just do the thing. <laughs> That's the most important thing. It doesn't matter how good it is. If it looks like this person's thing, just do the thing. <laughs> and by the time you do it the yeah. thousandth or a hundred thousandth time, you'll be a lot better at it than you mm. were when you first did it. So... I think to answer your question, it doesn't need to be public. If you wanted to have a really cool Instagram account, there's nothing stopping you from creating a burner account that's some a jumble of letters and numbers and you just 
and it's private pet like nobody could see it and you just mm-hmm. make it a practice to publish to that thing every mm-hmm. single day even if it's you're the only person that's looking at it uh i think the thing you need to also think about is why are, are you doing it is are you doing it to see 50 million likes on that thing are you actually doing it to be good at that thing mm. or to learn that thing and mm. for us i think we only started doing this because we wanted to do it for ourselves we're not here trying to get 50 like 50,000 likes on a podcast we're here to archive our thoughts and archive our, our conversation and i think us doing that through a podcast uh, using podcasts as pod, a podcast as a medium to do that that's our way of you know hopefully we'll be recording this to 100 episodes yeah. and i think by the time we're at the 100th episode i think both of us will be kind of pretty good at yeah. recording podcasts that if we want if you wanted to do the podcast with your friends you'd probably go in there and like look like a professional doing it because you went through the practice and a of lot of doing the barriers to doing it would be so much lower because it's yeah. like when you run I, I think about this all the time the first time i went running it was like excruciating and i think it took me two hours to finish under a mile mm-hmm. and i kept stopping and like i yeah. think one time i even threw up and like it was just i was like why do people fucking do this and then out of and but i kept doing it mm-hmm. for mental health reasons i needed to yeah and then out of nowhere it took me 10 minutes to do a mile not 10 minutes is hysterical i've never reached 10 minutes it took me like 15 minutes to do a mile and i was like wait 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 but at some point my brain like collapsed to all of that journey and it just i don't know it just flew by it uh, what you said earlier about motivation actually made me stop i think maybe you might be motivated with archival but i've never been motivated by archival i was thinking for instance you know all throughout my teenage years before like myspace facebook was a thing i was blogging i had like a website i had jessicasong.net i had you know i had all of these things I think I wrote to process my own thoughts into like a linear way, but I also needed to publish it. So maybe because connection and community has, you know, I've decided that was my theme of the year. But I also really think that I publish these things for people and either to connect with people or to have people connect to what we're saying. And so I'm motivated to do this podcast because when I get feedback from like the one person who listened to it and was like, I really resonated with what you said, like I have done enough, <laughs> you mm. know? And I think with, um, with art or like with painting and with drawing, I don't know if necessarily connection is what I'm looking for, but I know I'm looking to improve. And so I found that I thrive better in like structured classes with, with an instructor and like other people um, and like assignments to do because I'm able to show somebody my work and get constructive feedback from that person on what to improve. If I'm looking for something in my own work to improve, I'm either gonna be blind to it because I already think it's good or I can pick out a problem but I can't find a solution. Whereas a teacher could come over and be like, hey, your perspective has a tendency or a pattern to be off around here. So what you might want to do is X technique or use this tool or X, Y, Z. And that reduces the burden of research for me and allows me to learn 
in a much more guided way. So in in, in, in school, I'm in, in classes, I'm constantly producing work. And I, I don't have to get over the mountain of motivating myself to do it. You yeah. know? So figuring out what your motivation is and then figuring out ways to trick yourself to do it mm-hmm. is probably a really important part of putting work out there too. Yeah. And just, interesting. I think that's the important thing is just do it. I think when people look at our podcast, they'll think, oh, they this is great for their first podcast or whatever. But what they don't realize is we made a couple of attempts to do a podcast oh, yeah. in the past. That's right. And I've been fiddling around with audio equipment for the two or three years. years maybe. I, all the audio equipment we're using right now I bought for the studio I had, and that was three years ago. And yeah. it took me three years to finally like get everything in the right setup and yeah. know how to get everything. Oh yeah. So it's not like I just all of a sudden put two microphones in front of us and started recording. No, we had this these were settings audio. that you've had since we were doing our podcast during the pandemic because yeah, we tried doing one in the pandemic, which never, we never published. Yeah. But our friends but, came. <laughs> yeah. But people don't know that we did that. They'll just mm-hmm. see what's on the surface and be like, Oh wow. You like, guys just started a month yeah. ago. This yeah. is amazing. And it's like, no, this is, yeah. you know, we had a couple yeah. times where we tried tried and then we didn't like publish it but now we're actually we got ourselves to the point of publishing yeah it was a lot of false starts and a lot of like slow starts and i also want to say i'm glad we didn't push ourselves back then like Mm. i think we got excited about an idea we tried it we put it to the side we got excited about it again (laughs) we picked it back up we polished it a little put it to the side i tried to do a podcast with my brilliant friends and it was fun, but I put it to the side and I think I, you know, we finally kind of met ourselves on this bridge of like, oh my God, I think this now sounds we're fun. We're ready. Yeah. yeah. But um, it took like three years, years of incubation yeah. for us to get to this point. So when you see people out there, and also I think this is true for some YouTubers where you think like, oh, the, all of the videos on their channel are amazing. I know there's a, a YouTuber that basically was the same as the people we're talking about, like Jen Im and other people who like left all their old videos up, but there are YouTubers who had a whole bunch of old videos and, they took and then they out. wiped it out yeah. and then they started new, like, but with their, like where they are at this point in the mm-hmm. ground. And every, it looks like everything they created was amazing when that's not the case. There was actually hundreds of videos before this. They mm-hmm. just deleted it all from their channel. And then like once they were in a place they were comfortable with, that's where they like mm-hmm. moved forward. With their channel and erased everything before that so i think yeah when you when you look at a lot of people it's not like an overnight a person just became amazing overnight it, it is there's yeah. some level of practice or preparation that happened before yeah all of that. and i think i think one thing i learned from tech and one thing i learned from startup was that idea of an mvp and to just like you know whatever you're theory is like test it out on something simple and achievable and small so that if it fails you're not you know you're not demolishing a house but i think about like like the the video of you 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 cut a sponge Mm -hmm. so that you can put your camcorder inside of it and have it rest on the dashboard of your car yeah like it's that it's that that reminds me you know, you don't need high tech, you know, materials to just begin and mm-hmm. essentially, you know, build in this like period of failure like you talk about all the time. You don't need to invest deeply. Yeah. I mean, it was like a level of it was, it was a phase of experimentation. Yes. 
I, I wanted to vlog a long, long time ago. This must have been, yeah, like 10, 8 to 10 years ago when I had a camera. This this was way before like everybody. Like the, the kinds that have the little door camera yeah. that flips open and you have to strap it to your hand. and. Yeah, I didn't think I like wanted to be a vlogger. I just liked video equipment mm. and I wanted to learn filmmaking, just the I visual see. stuff, but I didn't want to be the star in any of that. So it was more about me just playing around with the gear than me wanting to really be a vlogger. But yeah, you're right. Like I did that stuff, you know, eight to 10 years ago before I finally was like, all right, I'm ready to turn the camera on myself and and record when I got much fancier equipment and a lot more people were doing it. Um, But yeah, there's a lot of videos that I, I did record that I don't know where they are now. They're probably in like videotapes that just got thrown out because they were, to me they were trash but at least the what fact what is a videotape <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I was recording on those mini DVs they're like tiny VHS looking yeah. tapes and there was nothing like I didn't have any plan I just wanted to like record cool things mm-hmm. I like really was fascinated with the, the depth of field where the thing was in focus and everything in the background was blurry I just like those types of shots but I never made like a um, cohesive video or cohesive story with that stuff but also, all that stuff is practice. That, that's what I'm talking about. Like, that's, that's all, all part of practice that got mm. me to the point now where I do know how to carry a camera around and start putting some sort of story together. And now I'm actually putting up YouTube videos, yeah. you know, as of the last four or five years, whereas yeah. eight years ago, I was just randomly recording stuff and didn't have any video to record or any story to tell. Yeah. I like conversations like this a lot because I. I'm pretty sure I'm a creative that's trapped in like a non-creative body. Like I feel like I am always wanting to write. I'm always wanting to draw. I'm always wanting to paint. And I can't always find her, you know, like to do the work or whenever she's like ready and wants, she's a naked baby that wants to run out the door. I'm like, ah, you gotta put on a sweater. You know, I just, um, I think what might be interesting for if I want to take something away and try to incorporate, you know, you're going to practice not saying like, (laughs) but I want to see if maybe what I can try. This is what I tried to do with my Substack, right? I just wanted to try to write once a week and I've pretty much fallen off of that and I'm maybe doing once a month. But maybe what would be helpful for me is to pick one small narrow thing to practice, you know? So if it's to compare it to getting rid of likes, you know, or like seeing how many likes you're saying, like maybe what I can do is try to describe one thing a day, like a leaf or a beam of light and just yeah. practice describing that one thing a day, maybe in my notebook, maybe to myself. Yeah. Um, just to, just to get my brain situated. Yeah. 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 I remember when you said you were talking about your Substack. it was about trying to re- recall memories so it could just memory. be as easy as like yeah. hey is there one memory i could recall and can i like write what i remember about that memory and it yeah. doesn't have to be in a substack it could be yeah. in your notebook just for yourself just to yeah. build the practice i think what i'm realizing though is that something about that even felt felt really big mm-hmm. because every time i opened my thing to sit down in front of it i felt my mind went blank and so usually when that happens, what I have to do is like try to think back on like the advice I gave to other people or like things I've learned in other contexts. But, you know, one thing, um, Anne Lamott came out with this book called Bird by Bird, and I haven't read it since college. 
but I think I want to pick it up again. But her whole thing, her practice was, it's, you know, she keeps a, uh, an empty one inch by one inch picture frame on her desk. And what she tries to do is if she has a memory, she actually tries to f- see what one inch by one inch thing she can focus on in that memory. And her writing practice is just describing that thing. Mm-hmm. So it could be you're in a park and there's all these parents and kids and, you know, someone's on a swing set and someone's on a slide. But in that memory, the one inch by one inch thing might be a red Converse shoe. So she would like describe the shoe. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that, like, I think if something still feels too big and I'm not willing to touch it, then I actually, in my commitment to trying to do it, I need to look, I need to re- narrow my scope of like my, my thing more, yeah. my outcome more. Yeah. I feel though that the more specificity you give something the harder it becomes to do Mm. it because then now you need to find something that meets all the criteria to have something to write about i mean i i'm looking around the room right now and you know i'm i get distracted because i'm constantly staring at the details of things Mm. like sometimes i'll look at people's faces and just something about the way their eyebrow has like it's straight on top but all the hairs go up on the bottom like i'll just get I'll just zoom in on that detail and get really mm-hmm. like distracted by the beauty of it. So like, I don't think I'll have a problem finding a thing to describe. I just have to try it. And then yeah. if I, I have to stick to it for like three weeks and if I can't do a change, try something else, I guess. Yeah, like you just have to figure out something that'll get you to mm-hmm. practice and lower the barrier to yeah. doing it. Yeah, like for me, it's always the, the, uh, the exploration of what my barrier is. Mm-hmm. And once I think I'm able to name it, I'm usually able to overcome it. But I don't always know what that barrier is. Yeah. Because I think if, if the practice is writing, it doesn't matter what you write about. It doesn't have to be a memory. It doesn't have to be yeah. this one inch by one inch of something. It's just, it's just look writing. around you. And like I think that was a tip you had in one of your workshops. Like if you have trouble writing, start by looking around you and describe like what's happening. Objectively describing as as objectively as possible mm-hmm. finding ways to describe things in detail yeah hmm. so i think that's the lesson it's just fun whatever it is that you're you want to get better at just practice <laughs> practice it. <laughs>